I would like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Yeshiva Discipleship Training Program. We are studying the biblical festivals. We're currently doing a series of teachings on Passover. This is our fifth session on Passover. In this session, we are going to be examining and studying the Passover in John chapter 6. When we study Passover, when we study the scriptures in general, we need to understand some very fundamental principles when studying Passover. These principles are as follows. When we are studying what happened to the forefathers, we are studying historical events. Passover and the Egyptian redemption is historic. However, we need to understand as well the biblical principle that the events which happened to the forefathers, that is biblical history, are actually prophecies of what will happen to their future descendants. Because of that, we can study and understand that biblical history, in this case Passover and the Egyptian redemption, will teach us about Yeshua the Messiah because in the volume of the book it is written of him. Also, biblical history and the historical Egyptian redemption and Passover will also teach us about our personal redemption in Yeshua as the Messiah. Passover, the Hebrew word is Pesach, is known among many things as being the festival of freedom. It's the deliverance from Egypt, which is a type of the world and the world system. It is the redemption to serve the God of Israel. In looking at these four principles and these four elements and aspects of Passover as review, because see, we need to keep these principles in our minds and at the forefront of our understanding as we apply what we are going to read and study from John chapter 6. Passover is historic. In Exodus chapter 12 verses 11 and 13 it is written, And thus you shall eat it, that is the Passover lamb, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and the staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It's not the Jewish Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... See, Passover is all about seeing the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Passover, while being historic in the framework of the historical Egyptian redemption, it is also prophetic because it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now all these things that happened unto them happened as in samples for us, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The Egyptian redemption 
is also a parable about the end of days. What is a parable? A parable is an understanding that is not readily recognized and seen at the surface or at the literal or at the Peshat level. How do we understand that the historical Egyptian redemption is a parable about the end of days? Well, it tells us in Psalm 78 verses 1 and 2, and then verse 13, Give ear, O my people, to my Torah. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. Give ear to my Torah. I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. The Torah that's being proclaimed is being done in a parable. And then it goes on to say, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. This event is a parable. It teaches us about Yeshua the Messiah, and it teaches us about personal relationship with him, and it teaches us about the end of days. That's the unraveling of the parable. The future redemption of the house of Jacob from all the nations where they've been scattered is a parallel or likened unto the historical Egyptian redemption. Hosea chapter 2 verse 15 says, And I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor. Achor in Hebrew means trouble. The valley of trouble, which is a reference to the tribulation period, for a door of hope. Why is the tribulation period going to be a door of hope? It's because she will sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. She will sing like she did historically in that day. And then in Micah chapter 7 verse 15 it says, According to the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. What I show is future. The future redemption is known as the song of the Lamb. It is the song of Zion. In Psalm 137 verses 3 and 4 it is written, for there they that carried us away captive, the nations of the world, required of us a song. A song in the Bible is an idiomatic expression that refers to the God of Israel redeeming his people. They required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mercy, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're mocking us. So the reply is, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? What's the strange land? The nations where the house of Jacob have been exiled. Notice the Lord's song is the song of Zion. We see the singing of this song in Revelation 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, that's historical, servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, that's the song of the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah is the greater Moses, and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was like a shepherd unto the nation of Israel that's likened unto a sheep. And this was a foreshadowing of the Messiah, who also would gather the exiles, not just from Egypt, but from all the nations where they have been scattered. And they say, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. This is a reference back to Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 which is the words that were proclaimed when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army were drowned. It's known as Mika Mocha. Yeshua is our Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Purge out 
Therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Messiah, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Yeshua is called our Passover. Yeshua is the Lamb of the God of Israel who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29 it says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The Passover blood of Yeshua redeems us from sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. What's this making a reference to? The tradition of your fathers. That's the oral law. It's saying you're not redeemed by following the oral law, which is today rabbinic Judaism, but with the precious blood of Messiah as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Passover is personal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Messiah. Don't be ignorant that all of our fathers experienced this, that they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all immersed in the Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. They all did eat the same spiritual meat. They all did drink the same spiritual drink. So in speaking to believers in Yeshua as the Messiah, Rav Sha'al is reminding believers in the Messiah to identify with the events of the historical Egyptian redemption. Why does he want us to do that? Because the events that happened to them will happen to the final generation when the house of Jacob are gathered from all the nations where they've been scattered. The commandment back in Exodus chapter 13 verse 8 is you shall show your son in that day, saying this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. Passover has a personal application to all those who are in covenant relationship with the God of Israel. It's with these principles that we need to look at John chapter 6 and the events that happened there at that Passover. Also, we need to understand the principle, if we're studying Passover, when actually is the fulfillment or when is the conclusion of Passover? Well, actually, Pentecost is the conclusion or the atzeret of Passover because the coming out of Egypt is linked with coming to Mount Sinai. And so you can't separate the two. And here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, the God of Israel says to Moses, 
certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, that's Passover, you will serve God upon this mountain. The coming out of Egypt is not completed until you are serving God upon this mountain at Mount Sinai. Well, also we need to understand that the promised land is the conclusion of Passover. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 22 it says, And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before his eyes. Those are the Passover events. And now Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 23, And he brought us out from there, Egypt, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he swore to his fathers. So the coming out of Egypt is not complete until he brings us into the land which he swore unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But also, we need to understand that the Messianic era ultimately is the conclusion or the fulfillment of Passover and the Passover process. How do we understand that? In Micah chapter 7, verse 15 According to the days, plural, of your coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. So in the book, Anticipating the Redemption, written by Rebbe Schneerson, on page 104, it says the following. It is well known that this verse says, as in the days, plural, of your coming out of Egypt, with emphasis being placed on the use of the plural term, days. But we know that the exodus from Egypt, actually, the Torah says, took place in one day, because it says, recall this day in which you left Egypt. Why then is Micah chapter 7, verse 15, why does it use the plural days? The answer, this is communicated to us by Rebbe Schneerson in his book In the Garden of Torah, that is because the exodus from Egypt is connected to the ultimate redemption, which is the end of the exile of Jacob from all the nations where he has been scattered. And when does that come about? It's associated with the Messianic era. Once again, in the book Anticipating the Redemption, this is what is commented on as it relates to Micah chapter 7 verse 15. That the entire sequence of time from the time of the Exodus until the future redemption, all of those days are considered as the days of your Exodus from Egypt. Also, on page 24 of Anticipating the Redemption by Rebbe Schneerson, the same thought is communicated that the entire period beginning with the first redemption that is from Egypt until the ultimate redemption are the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt. How can Mount Sinai be the conclusion of Passover? How can the promised land be the conclusion of Passover? How can the messianic era be the conclusion of Passover? How can they all be the conclusion of Passover? That's because you have to understand how biblical events are fulfilled. They're fulfilled here now, but not yet. They're fulfilled initially 
in part, but not in their fullness. The ultimate fullness is for a later time, that they get fulfilled initially in type and in shadow. Carrying on this thought that the Messianic era is the conclusion of Passover, in Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16, Yeshua said, unto them with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I say unto you I will not any more eat thereof eat what the Passover I will not eat again until it be fulfilled until what be fulfilled Passover in the kingdom of God he's saying there's a future fulfillment of Passover that takes place in the kingdom these are the foundations and the principles that we have to have an understanding of when we then read what takes place in John chapter 6 that being the case let's examine John chapter 6 in greater detail to begin with in John chapter 6 verse 1 the setting here is on the Sea of Galilee after these things Yeshua went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias what is the significance that the events of John chapter 6 which is Passover season why is the setting the Galilee well we need to understand what historically happened in the Galilee what historically happened is that the northern kingdom was initially taken captive from the Galilee area and in 2nd Kings chapter 15 verse 29 it says in the days of Pekah king of Israel came Tiglath-Pileser king of Assyria and he took various cities and places among them being Gilead and Galilee which happens to be the land that was deeded to Naphtali and carried them away captive to Assyria. There was a series of Assyrian attacks where they came down and took the northern kingdom captive. And what we read there in 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 29 was the first captivity. In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 there's a prophecy of another attack coming and the prophecy is that this one is going to be worse than the initial one. In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 it says, Nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted. That's the first captivity. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward, that is the future ones to come, did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. The people that walked in darkness. Who's the people that walked in darkness? The northern kingdom. And what does the phrase walking in darkness mean? It means they didn't follow Torah. That's why they were taken captive. It was punishment for not keeping the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. So the people that walked in darkness, the prophecy is they're going to see a great light. Who's the great light? It's the Messiah. The Torah is called light, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, and they're seeing a great light, the Messiah who is a living, walking Torah. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, that is exile, upon them has light shined. That is the Messiah and the redemption. It's the Messiah who gathers the exiles of Israel. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Messiah said, I am the good shepherd. 
This statement of being the good shepherd, he's making an allusion or a reference back to the role of the good shepherd who will restore and regather the exiles of Israel. One of the places where this is mentioned is Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and 13. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. Who's the one that's searching for the lost sheep? It's Yahweh Elohim. So when Messiah says, I am the good shepherd, he is also, through Remez, making the statement that he is Yahweh Elohim. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. He's got to regather them, and they will feed upon the mountains of Israel and this is a reference to teaching them Torah. Ephraim is a multitude of people. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 14, and then the last part of verse 19 says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittily, for Manasseh was the firstborn. His younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed, that is the seed of Ephraim, he shall be a multitude of nations. In Hebrew, Melo Hagoim. But a reference to Ephraim multiplying, he would be, in the nations, he would be a multitude of nations. With that Torah foundation and understanding, we should be able to understand better what's being said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. It says, And Yeshua went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when they saw the multitudes, this is a code word for Ephraim and the nations because Ephraim is to be a multitude of nations. The Gospels make an allusion to the exiles by calling them the multitudes. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, and because they fainted and were scattered abroad. Notice the multitudes are scattered abroad. That's a reference to the exile having as sheep having no shepherd. They're exiled and no one's teaching them Torah because they have no shepherd. And if they're being taught Torah, they're going to be taught who the Messiah is, which is the forgiveness of their sins. And they're going to be taught that the reason why you're exiled is because you didn't follow Torah. And so come to Messiah, get your sins forgiven, and also obey the commandments of the God of Israel. When the book From Exile to Redemption by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson he makes this commentary that the Messiah will seek the lost sheep of the house of Jacob. The Midrash relates that when Moshe Rabbeinu noticed one day that a lamb had run away from the flock and had strayed in the wilderness, he left the flock and ran after it in order to bring it back. From this, we can learn how meaningful every Jew, or biblically we should read that, everyone that's in covenant relationship with the God of Israel, is in the eyes of Moshe Rabbeinu, even if he is a Jew who has run away from the flock. 
And since the first Redeemer, that is Moshe, is also the last Redeemer, that is the Messiah, it is clear that what is true of Moshe is likewise true of the Messiah. With that context, look at what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, which is a parallel text to John chapter 6. And it says, in Yeshua, when he came out, saw much people. And if you look that up in the Greek, it's the same Greek word that's translated as multitude in other places. He saw the multitude, which is a reference to the exiles and the nations. He was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is exactly the Hebraic understanding of the role and task of the Messiah. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And a great multitude followed him. That's a prophecy. History is prophecy. That is a prophecy that non-Jews from the nations would follow the Messiah. They're being referenced here as being the multitude. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them, that were diseased. Going back to Torah, what is the definition of, of the disease that comes upon the exiles of Israel. Well, the disease comes about by breaking the covenant and not following Torah. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, it says, But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe and to do all these commandments and his statutes which I command you this day, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Moreover, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, which you was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. Also, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 61, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this Torah, them will the Lord bring upon you until you be destroyed. The penalty for breaking the covenant is to suffer sickness and disease. Breaking the Torah not only brings about sickness and disease, but the penalty is exile in the nations. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49, and then verse 64. And the Lord shall bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. And the Lord will scatter you among all people, from one end of the earth even unto the other, and you will serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. So the penalty is to be scattered among all people from one end of the earth even to the other. Messiah is the one who comes and he heals the diseased, the exiles of Israel. Ezekiel 34, verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. In Ezekiel 34, verse 16, it says, And I will seek that which was lost. I will bring again that which was driven away. And I will bind up that which was broken. And I will strengthen that which was sick. How do the sick get strengthened? They get taught Torah and their sins get forgiven. But I will destroy the fat and the strong I will feed them with judgment. In John chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And Yeshua went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Notice he's going up to a mountain, and he's sitting with his disciples. What is the meaning of this? Torah is taught from a mountain. 
In Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. What's being done on this mountain? He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So when they were up on a mountain, it is a prophetic picture of teaching them Torah. The setting of John chapter 6 is Passover. John chapter 6 verse 4. In the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. And what follows next is the miracle feeding of the multitude with five loaves and two fishes. John chapter 6 verse 5 and then verses 8 and 9 says, When Yeshua then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company, in Greek that's the same word that's translated elsewhere as multitude. When he saw the multitudes, which is an imagery of the exile scattered in the nations, came unto him, he says to Philip, where will we buy bread that these may eat? And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? What is the meaning of the five barley loaves? Well, the five barley loaves, or the five loaves of bread, personifies or represents the five books of the Torah. Then, what is the meaning of the two fish? The two fish are going to represent the exiles of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, scattered into the nations of the world. We can see this because the end result is 12 baskets, the full regathering of both houses of Israel. Ephraim is likened unto a fish that multiplies in the earth. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, it says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads, and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and the King James says, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. But the word that's translated as grow is the Strong's word 1711. It's the Hebrew word dagah. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 it says, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. The word fish in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is the Strong's number 1710. It's the Hebrew word daga. It's the same word. So actually what it says in Genesis 48:16, let them multiply as fish in the earth. Well, it doesn't make human reasoning sense that fish multiply in land. They multiply in water. So they didn't translate the text literally, but the text literally says that Ephraim in being a multitude of people, they're likened unto fish. There's a prophecy that fishermen are going to be sent to the exiles of Israel. What do fishermen do? They try to catch fish. In Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that it will no more be said, The Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives that brought the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he's driven them. So we're talking about the exiles being gathered. 
And I will bring them again into their land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, how is this going to be done? How are they going to be gathered? Here's how it's going to happen. I will send for many fishers, says the Lord, and they will fish for them. The fishermen are the good guys. The hunters are the bad guys. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Messiah says to his disciples, Follow me. If you follow me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Because if you truly follow me, there's a problem that needs to be solved. Is that is my people's been scattered in the nations of the world. I'm going to come and die on the tree to forgive them of their sins. But they need to understand that I'm the Messiah. They need to accept the forgiveness of their sins that I offer them. And they need to be taught Torah. That's the great commission. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Sitting down is a Hebraic idiom that means teach them Torah. In John chapter 6 verse 10, Yeshua said, Make the men sit down. It means teach them Torah. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Torah is idiomatically learned at the feet of your teacher. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 3 it says, Yea, he loved the people, all his saints are in your hand, and they sat down at your feet. Everyone shall receive of your words. How they receive of your words? By sitting down at your feet. John chapter 6 verse 3. And Yeshua went up unto a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Acts chapter 22 verse 3. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught, at the feet and taught, according to the perfect manner of the Torah of our fathers. The multitude were seated in groups of people. The parallel passage to John in chapter 6, which is found in Mark chapter 6, it is written, And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. This is an allusion and a reference back to what happened when the children of Israel came out of Egypt as we are told in Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 and 20 and verse 25. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God shall be with you. Be thou for the people to Godward, that you may bring the causes unto God. And you shall teach them ordinances and laws, and show them the way that they must walk, and the work that they must do. How are we got to teach them the ways that they should walk? Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. How is Messiah instructing to teach the multitude? In groups of hundreds and fifties and tens. Just as what happened historically when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Grass represents the world, the world system, the earth. In John chapter 10, verse 6, Yeshua said, Make the men sit down, teach them Torah. Now there was much grass in the place. In other words, they're exiled in the nations. They're without Torah. They're in the field. The field's a reference to being without Torah, and it's in the field where grass grows. The men sat down about 5,000. 
In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, the voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? Cry this, All flesh is grass. Grass is likened unto flesh, which is the world and the world's system. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. Grass is likened unto field, fields likened unto the world. What happens next is Messiah distributes the bread. John chapter 6, verse 11. Yeshua took the loaves. What does the loaves represent? The Torah. And when he had given thanks, you thank the God of Israel for giving you his Torah. He distributed it to his disciples, meaning he taught them Torah and the disciples to them that were set down. Messiah is given the pattern. I'm going to teach you Torah. Now you are to take the Torah that I'm teaching you and you teach the multitudes. And likewise of the fishes as much as they want. Teach them as much Torah as they are willing to listen. John chapter 6 verse 12. When they were filled, when they had been taught Torah, he said unto them, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. What's the meaning of gathering? Well, gathering is bringing back the exiles of Israel. The exiles of Israel are called fragment, or a fragment is a remnant. The prophecies are that when the exiles of Israel are gathered, that a remnant of Jacob will return. Psalm 147, verse 2, it says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. You're to gather up the fragments in John chapter 6, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 8. The Lord God which gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. So once again, the fragments represent the remnant of Israel. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 21 and 22 says, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. In other words, they're going to be taught Torah. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 16. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria. Those who are left from the Assyrian captivity, which was the inauguration of the exiles of the northern kingdom. Like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. The remnant returning is like as it was in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Jeremiah 23 verse 3. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. So in gathering the fragments, it said, gather so that none is lost. This is an allusion to the northern kingdom or Ephraim who were assimilated in the nations and quote-unquote were referred to as being lost, assimilated, lost. In other words, their identity became unknown after so many generations ended up intermarrying. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. I will seek that which was lost, that's a reference to Ephraim and the nations, and bring again that which was driven away, they were driven away, 
because they weren't taught Torah. And I will bind up that which was broken, and I will strengthen that which was sick. I will teach them Torah. Ephraim is regarded as being lost or actually assimilated into the nations. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 4 is the prophecy regarding this. It says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto you a wife of whoredom and children of whoredoms, for the land has committed great whoredoms departing from the Lord. In other words, they didn't follow Torah. And Hosea 1 4, The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Hosea and Gomer have a, a child. They're to name the child Jezreel. Jezreel means God will sow or God will scatter. The prophecy of the judgment is to be scattered into the nations. Hosea chapter 7 verse 8 says, Ephraim has mixed himself among the people, intermingled. Ephraim is a cake not turned. In Micah chapter 5 verse 7 it says, And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as dew from the Lord and as the showers upon the grass that tarries not for man nor waits for the sons of men. Ultimately what gets gathered are 12 baskets. These 12 baskets represent the gathering of the 12 tribes of Israel. In John chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves. The remnant of Israel who will return, who are taught Torah, are going to be those who are members from all the twelve tribes, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Now, in the book, From Exile to Redemption, Rebbe Schneerson points out that the Hebrew letters of the name Moshe plus the Hebrew letters of the word Achad are numerically equivalent to the letters of the word Mashiach. How is that so? Well, we have Moshe down here, which consists of a Mem, a Shin, and a He. Mem has the numerical value in Hebrew of 40. Shin has a numerical value of 300. Ahe has a numerical value of 5. The numerical value of Moshe's name is 345. Ahad in Hebrew has a numerical value of 13. Ahad is Aleph, Chet, and Dalet. Aleph has a numerical value of a 1. Het has a numerical value of 8. Dalit has a numerical value of 4. So the numerical value of Ahad is 13. If we add Moshe plus Ahad, we have 358, which is the numerical equivalent of Moshiach. Moshiach is Mem, Shin, Yod, Chet. Mem is 40. Shin is 300. Yod is 10. Chet is 8. It equals 358. Notice the equivalency is going to communicate to us the role and the function of the Messiah. Moshe personifies the Torah. Ahad personifies the regathering and the unification of all Israel. Messiah's role is to gather the exiles of Israel, Ahad, plus teach them Torah, Moshe. Messiah is seen as being the greater Moses. He's greater than Moses. In the book From Exile to Redemption, Rabbi Schneerson writes, Mashiach has a certain superiority even over Moshe Rabbeinu. On the phrase at the beginning of the Torah in Genesis chapter 1, in the spirit of God hovered, the sages teach this alludes to the spirit of King Mashiach. 
that verse continues over the surface of the waters. This intimidates a level higher than that of Moshe, who was so called because from the water I drew him. Moshe was called out of the water. Mashiach covered over the waters. He's greater than Moshe. In the Midrash, and the sources here are Midrash Tenhuma on the conclusion of Parashat Todot and Yahut Shamoni on Yeshayahu Remez 4.76. The Mashiach is said to be greater than Moses. What Moses did, Mashiach's got to do, but on a greater and a larger scale. In John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Yeshua did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that would come into the world. Well, that prophet is referred to in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you, of your brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. This is being referenced in Acts chapter 3, verses 20 and 22. Here we can see that Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, is speaking about the Messiah. Acts 3, verse 20. And he will send Yeshua HaMashiach, which before was preached unto you. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Historically, Moses showed dominion over the sea. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 and verse 21. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Notice that the parting came about by a strong east wind. This is a reference to the Messiah, who is likened unto the east wind. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, in the setting of Passover, Yeshua, the greater Moses, shows dominion over the sea. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea, and entered into a ship, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Yeshua was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of the great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and twenty, or thirty furlongs, they see Yeshua walking on the sea, and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. The sea is seen as being the domain of Pharaoh. Messiah has dominion over the sea. He has dominion over the world, the world system, the leaders of the world. Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 2 and 3. Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his rivers which has said, My river is my own, and I have made it for myself. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 2 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say unto him, You are like a young lion of the nations, and you are as a whale in the seas. 
and you came forth with your rivers, and you trouble the waters with your feet, and you foul the rivers. He's associated with the rivers, the sea, and he pollutes the rivers. He troubles the seas. The sea is also seen in the domain of the false Messiah. Revelation chapter 13 verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Historically, the children of Israel, when they see Pharaoh's army approaching, they are afraid And when Pharaoh drew nigh, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't fear, see the salvation of the Lord. See Yeshua, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. But what happens in John chapter 6? The disciples are afraid. And when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Yeshua walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. What happened historically? Moses said, don't be afraid. What does Yeshua say in John chapter 6 verse 20? He said, it is I... Be not afraid. Messiah calms the sea. In Psalm 107, verse 21, verses 28 and 29, and verse 30, it is written, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still, then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he brings them unto their desired haven. Yeshua is fulfilling these prophecies in Psalm that Yahweh Elohim calms the waters and he delivers his people from troubles. Moses was sent to deliver the children of Israel. Repeatedly it's said of Moses that he's being sent. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and verse 14, and then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 28, it is written, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you, that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. So Yeshua, the greater Moses, reminds the people Passover that he's the sent one. He's sent of the Father. John chapter 6 verse 29 and then John chapter 6 verses 38 through 40 it is written Yeshua answered and said unto them this is the word of God that you believe on him whom he has sent for I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me and this is the father's will that has sent me that 
of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Historically, the God of Israel sent manna to feed the children of Israel in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, and then Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, it is written, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. What's coming from heaven? Bread for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them. So the bread being sent is a test to prove them, whether they will walk in my Torah or not. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna for they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto them, This, the manna, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. What is it? Well, this is the bread. And so Yeshua is the true bread from heaven. John chapter 6, verses 32 and 33, and then verse 35, it is written, Then said Yeshua unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. He's saying, I'm the manna. I'm the true bread. And Yeshua said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Yeshua goes on to say in John chapter 6, verse 48, and then verses 50 and 51, I am the bread of life. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? In Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they did not know what it was. Moses said, This is the bread which the Lord has given you. Manna is the Strong's number 478. And you can see here what it means is, What is it? In the setting of Passover, they said, Is not this Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they question him, Who are you? They're saying to the manna, Who are you? What is it? The children of Israel historically ate flesh and bread. Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, in the morning bread to the full. So he fed them with flesh and bread. The Hebrew word for flesh is the Strong's number 1320. It's the Hebrew word basar, which means flesh. And it can mean flesh of animals, of humans, or it could refer to the body itself. We have a, another Hebrew word, which is the Strong's number 1319, which also is basar. It means to, to bear news, to publish good tidings, to preach, to announce good news. So the Hebrew word flesh means gospel. Eating flesh is a reference to believing the gospel of Yeshua. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says, 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings. It's the word basar, meat or flesh, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings, basar or flesh of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings, the basar, Under the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. In this context, that historically the children of Israel ate flesh, the basar, and bread, Yeshua says in John chapter 6 at the Passover setting, in verses 52 through 57, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yeshua said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me will live by me. If you eat him, you're going to live by him. How did he live? He followed Torah. So when you are eating of him, you're believing he's the Messiah, that he was sent from the Father, and you're following Torah. That's how you eat of his flesh. He's saying, unless you do this, you have no life. In the book From Exile to Redemption, Rebbe Schneerson said, it's the expectation of the Messiah that when he comes, he will teach the hidden meanings of the Torah. Mashiach will teach all of Israel the mystical depths of the Torah and the reasons hidden within the Torah which will be revealed in the future time. This is alluded to in the verse from Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. He kisses me with the kisses of his mouth, on which Rashi writes, There is a promise from God that he will again appear to the people of Israel. He will explain them its secret reasons and hidden mysteries. How is Passover being communicated in John chapter 6? In the hidden element of it, in the deeper meaning, in the parable understanding, in the remez understanding, in the sod understanding. Why is Messiah teaching in this way? Because that's the expectation of the Messiah. He's got to come and reveal the hidden things of the Torah and elevate them to the plain and simple meaning. Historically, the children of Israel murmured against Moses. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, and then Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? What happens in John chapter 6? There is murmuring against Yeshua. In John chapter 6, verses 41 through 43, it is written, The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. See, what's happening historically, it's all prophecy of what will happen about and to the Messiah. And they said, Is not this Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? Yeshua therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. 
And in John chapter 6, verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So Yeshua is in the Galilee area. He's teaching these things at Capernaum. Well, Capernaum is the Strong's number 2584 in the Greek dictionary. And Capernaum means the village of comfort. He's speaking these things in the village of comfort. What is comfort associated with? The end of the exile of Jacob in the nations. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13, 16, and 17 says, Then, when the scattered of Israel are gathered, then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old men together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them. When the scattered of Israel are being gathered, I'm going to comfort them. Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in your end, says the Lord, that your children will come again to their own border. So the scattered of Israel are being comforted because they're coming again to their own border. Why is Messiah teaching about these things at Capernaum, the village of comfort? Because he's making an illusion about the future redemption that is going to be associated with Passover. The future redemption is like the historical redemption. Hosea chapter 2 verse 15. And I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble for a door of hope, which is an allusion to the tribulation period. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Micah chapter 7 verse 15. According to the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Yeshua says those that believe on him will be raised up in the last day. John chapter 6 verse 40, verse 44, and verse 54. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believe on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So three times Yeshua said that he will raise the people up in the last day. When is the last day? The last day is the Messianic era. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach and by our gathering together unto him. What is this verse referring to? The gathering of the exiles of Jacob from all the nations where they've been scattered. That's the gathering unto him because Messiah gathers the exiles of Israel. He's the good shepherd that gathers the sheep that's been scattered into the nations. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Messiah is at hand. See the messianic era is the day of Messiah. When he gathers the exiles of Israel and brings them back to the land of Israel that's the day of the Messiah. 
Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Come and let us return unto the Lord. He has torn, he will heal us. That's the end of the exile. He has smitten, scattered us into the nations. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. How are you revived? You're being taught Torah. And the Ruach, the Spirit is in you. You're following Torah by the Ruach. You're being revived. And the third day, he will raise us up. And this is the third day in reference to the first coming Messiah, which is a reference to the Messianic era. So in the third day in the Messianic era, we are raised up. We are gathered from the nations of the world, and we're living in his sight. Messiah is on the earth teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. And so in the Messianic era, the Torah will be taught from Zion. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. It will come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the Messiah is teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem during the Messianic era. What are the two works of the Messiah that we can see here? from John chapter 6 and this teaching on Passover. The role of the Messiah is to teach Torah, that's Moshe, and to gather the exiles of Israel, that is Ahad. The Messianic era is associated with Messiah gathering the exiles of Israel and teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. This is the ultimate work of the Messiah, to die on the tree, to forgive the exiles of Israel from their sins for breaking the covenant, and to then send out his disciples to teach those in the nations to proclaim the good news the gospel that Yeshua is the Messiah, their sins could be forgiven, and to teach them Torah. Ultimately, these things are associated with the Messianic era, and this is what is known as the greater exodus. Messiah gathers the exiles of Israel from all the nations where they have been scattered, and he brings them back to the land of Israel. This is what Messiah is teaching in John chapter 6. These events that we read in John chapter 6, they are historical events, but at the same time, they are prophecies of what will happen in the future. And Messiah is teaching about who he is, and he's teaching about the prophecies of the future, about regathering the exiles of Israel, and he's doing it in the sowed level of the Torah, the hidden meaning of the Torah. And he's taking the hidden meaning of the Torah, and he's bringing it to the surface and explaining it according to the plain meaning and showing how it all relates and pertains to him. This is going to conclude this session's teaching on Passover, and I pray that it has been a blessing to you. We need to remember that those of us who are believers in Yeshua as the Messiah, we are told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, 
that he who says he abides in him, if you're a believer in the Messiah, that you ought to walk even as he walked. Shalom in the Messiah. Amen.